It's great to dream. It's great to set goals. It's great to have a plan as long as those plans include God. We can plan for the future and should plan for the future and include God in our plans, but we can only live for today. There's only two things that last forever, the Word of God and people. And we invest in the Word of God and people, it's something that lasts forever. One of the greatest mistakes in life is to forget God, to, to, to leave Him out of our plans. And even Christians sometimes do this, if we're not careful. Putting off doing good is a mistake because we have no guarantee of tomorrow. What do you know that you need to do? But maybe you've been putting it off. James says, do it now, do it now. Good morning, Orchard. How we doing? Good. You have a happy Thanksgiving? How many have had plenty of turkey sandwiches by now? Lovely. How many went Black Friday shopping? Black Friday. Oh, you brave souls. Brave souls. My wife went. I stayed home. I figured I should protect the house during that time, for sure. Well, uh, if you will, turn to James chapter 5 this morning. And we're going to uh, begin the last chapter in the book of James. And if you're like me, I've really enjoyed this series, uh, How Faith Works in the book of James. I've, I've enjoyed even studying it as I prepare messages for it. Uh, this, this week as I was studying, I found out something about this passage that we're going to cover. And I just want to give you a warning about it. This is known, and I'm not joking, this is known as one of the most negative passages in the entire New Testament. One of the most negative passages in the entire New Testament. So in the spirit of Thanksgiving, I want to just publicly thank our lead pastor, Doug, for asking me to bring this message from this passage, one of the most negative passages in the New, in the New Testament. The title of our message this morning is How to Be Wise with Your Wealth. How to Be Wise with Your Wealth. Some of you I probably just lost because he's talking about money, number one. Number two, I'm not wealthy. I'm not wealthy. This does not apply to me. But I have to tell you, if you're in this room this morning, I want, to, I want you to know that you are wealthy. You're wealthy. If you own a car, if you have a car, you're wealthy. If you have clean water, in the perspective of the entire world, you are wealthy. Do you know if you own a house, you're in the top 5% of the wealthiest people in the world? That's called perspective. That's called perspective, to understand how wealthy we truly are. If you, if you live in the country of America, you are wealthy. We need to understand that. We need, we need to grasp that as we go into this passage this morning. Uh, what we need to be aware of is that God has blessed us. We are wealthy people because God has blessed us. And we need to learn to use that blessing and that wealth wisely. I think there's a lot of people that have a belief that it's wrong to be wealthy. It's wrong to be wealthy. They may say things like, well, money is the root of all evil. That's what the Bible says. Well, that's not what the Bible says. First Timothy 6 says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And we need to understand this morning that God is not opposed to wealth. He's not opposed to that. There's many in the, in the scriptures, if you study, that were wealthy figures that you've heard of. Abraham would be a millionaire in our terms. You think of Job, you think of David, you think of Solomon. These are the wealthiest men of their time. Think of Barnabas. We know he had a lot of money because he was able to give back to the church generously. Joseph of Arimathea, he's the one that donated Jesus' tomb. And he was extremely wealthy. So we need to understand that God is not opposed 
to wealth. But here's what he is opposed to. And we're going to learn this this morning. The unwise use of wealth. That's what he is opposed to. The unwise use of wealth. And in this passage, this passage that's strong and it's harsh and it's a little negative, James is rebuking the church on the unwise use of wealth. Now we have to understand the New Testament, New Testament times, there was no middle class. There was either the rich or the poor, and the rich got richer and the poor got poorer. And we know that in in chapter 2, James called out the rich for oppressing the poor. And this passage is like a healthy warning for us this morning. And no matter how much money we have, no, no matter how wealthy we are, God has asked us to use it wisely. It's key to understand that. So let's, let's start off in chapter 5 this morning in verse 1. And we're going to see this, uh, this rebuke from James. He says, come now, you rich. Now remember, he's talking to us this morning. You rich, weep and howl for your miseries. Remember that word miseries uh, this morning. Your miseries that are coming upon you. I told you this is going to be a little harsh this morning. Weep and howl, for your miseries are coming upon you. Wow. Some major heavy stuff that James is going to rebuke us with as the church, as Christians, when it comes to our wealth. Now this morning we're going to look at four wrong uses of wealth that James is going to give us, and then we're going to look at four right uses of wealth. So let's, first of all, let's look at the wrong uses of wealth. The wrong uses of wealth. The first wrong use is hoarding. Hoarding. And we're going to see this in verse 2 and 3. It says in verse 2, Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you. And check this out. And it will eat your flesh like fire. Ouch. James is passionate, if you haven't been able to pick up on that. And he says, You have heaped up treasure in the last days. He's saying you've heaped it up. You know what he's saying? He said, You've hoarded your treasures. You've hoarded your wealth. It's piling up. It's getting corroded. Hoarding wealth just for the sake of having it is what James is talking about. It's not wrong to to have wealth, but it is wrong to have wealth just for the sake of having it. There's no good purpose to it. And here I want to give you something really good this morning that I I hope it sticks with you when it comes to wealth. God doesn't want us to hoard our wealth. He wants his money and his blessings that he's blessed us with to be in circulation. He wants it to be out there doing good and not being hoarded. You know, when it comes to hoarding, we we have to remember that hoarding is more than just saving money. This is having stuff just for the sake of having it, letting it pile up, letting it get corroded. How many of you have seen that TV show Hoarders? Hoarders. Yeah. You can see this. uh, It's... It's just disgusting. It's gross. If, if you're a neat freak like, freak like me, you probably have a hard time just watching this show. You probably just like get all itchy and stuff. It's like, oh, that's, that's disgusting. But as, as we feel like, like that on that, we have to remember that God feels the same way. And that's what James is pointing out to us is when we hoard our wealth, it's disgusting. It's gross to God. You know, I've seen this, this show Hoarders and it's tough to watch. As a neat freak, and I, I don't know if I should uh, say this this morning, but I think one of our team members on our leadership team at church is a hoarder. <laughs> and I, I've debated whether I should call them out on this or not, but I think it would be, it would be best to do so. And it's our connections director, Laura. Um, I think she has a problem with hoarding a little bit. In fact, I took a picture of her office this week. I wanted to show you. <laughs> 
That may have been photoshopped, I have, I have to admit. No, the next picture shows Laura in her office. I was just making fun, just, just having fun with her. She's neat and clean and not a hoarder. And she's, she's really heading up our assimilation organization. She's our connections director, doing a fabulous job. You can find her at Got Questions Table. She's awesome. Great addition to our team. Neat and tidy. She's not a hoarder, but when it comes to hoarding, when, when James is talking to us about this, we need to understand there was, there was a few ways in the New Testament times that you could hoard things. I mean, the first way was to stockpile food. Uh, you could collect clothes. You could pile those up, and you could gather some jewelries and precious metals. And James points out in verse 2 and 3 uh, the corrosion of those things. Okay, if we let those things pile up, whether it be jewelry or clothes, they get messed up. They get corroded. They get rusted. You know, when you think about even food, food spoils over time. You think about moths eating clothes, you know, the, those clothes that get eaten by moths. You think about jewelry that rusts over time. You know, when you think about moth-eating clothes, which clothes are those? Are those the ones we wear? No, those are the ones that are piling up, right, in a box in the attic, right? The ones we don't wear, they're getting piled up, they're getting hoarded. Uh, you think about food, spoiled food. We, we just came off Thanksgiving, you know, and we probably got some leftover turkey. And if we're not careful, that could get buried in the back of the fridge. And those things that are, these are the spoiled foods that get in the back of the fridge and they get creatures growing out of them over time. You've got to be careful of that. These are the, this is the food we don't eat, right? This is food that's, that's piling up. James is saying this, this hoarding thing, it's gross. It's disgusting. It's an unwise use of our wealth. And we need to remember that God wants his blessings not hoarded. He, he wants his wealth not hoarded, but in circulation. Doing good, good things. Wealth is to be used wisely and not hoarded. So hoarding. And the second thing is this. Second wrong use of wealth is stealing. Stealing. Let's look at verse 4. It says, indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. That sounds kind of like a heavy metal song right there. The wages that you've held back from those laborers, they... They're crying out with the cries of the reapers, you know. James is getting passionate right here. He's saying, man, those wages that you're holding back, they're crying out. It's a wrong use of wealth. You know what you're doing? You're stealing. You're stealing. I lived in Savannah, Georgia for a couple of years, several years ago, and I did some lawn maintenance work. Worked for my friend who owned a company. Did that for about a year. And uh, one thing you found out in Savannah is there there was a lot of people there that came to this country illegally. And so they would gather in the squares in downtown Savannah about six in the morning, and they would wait to get picked up to do late day labor. And it was undocumented, you know, off the record. And the problem with that is these contractors would pick them up, and they could just pay them whatever they want, really. They could mistreat them and maybe not even pay them minimum wage if they wanted to, because they're undocumented. In the New Testament times, where James is coming from, uh, people worked on a daily basis. You know what they did is they get hired at the beginning of the day, worked all day, and at the end of the day, they would get paid. Now, we have to understand there was no contracts, there's no labor unions protecting any workers back then. If the boss wanted to rip you off, he could. You could work all day, and the boss could come up and see your work and say, I don't like your work, so go home, and I'm not going to pay you today. There was no protection for that. He kept the money and got the work as well. And here, here in the New Testament with James talking here, this is what James is criticizing. He's saying, you're stealing. 
You're holding back the wages from these workers that have worked for it. You're taking advantage of them. You're stealing. You know, we look at ourselves. We may not, we may not be a, a boss or may not be somebody that, we, that pays people, but do we steal at times? Is there times in our finances we could look at our wealth that God's blessed us with? Have we stolen? Do we steal? You know, do I, do I charge too much if I sell this car and maybe I, maybe I don't tell them about the repairs that need to be done? Maybe I cheat on my taxes. Maybe I waste time at work. You know, that's, that's stealing. And what James is saying is, that's no worse than this corrupt employer here. That's no worse. And we, and we need to understand, and if you agree with me, just say, yeah, stealing is stealing. Do you agree with me on that? Stealing is stealing, and it's a wrong use of wealth. So we don't want to hoard our wealth. We don't want to steal. And then the third thing is we don't want to waste. Wasting. Wasting your wealth. It's a wrong use of wealth. We just came off of Thanksgiving. Hopefully you didn't waste any food. After Thanksgiving, hopefully you're making some turkey sandwiches. You know, I was looking into the holidays and Christmas time. You know, uh, the average American gains two pounds at Christmas. Two pounds. Now, if you're me, I thought, that's a little low, don't you think? You know, two pounds. I think maybe some people are maybe helping the curve. Maybe some people hurting the curve, maybe just a little bit. But James talks to us here in verse 5 about wasting, and he kind of alludes to that. In verse 5, he says, you, You've lived here on earth, on the earth, in pleasure and luxury. Then he says, You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. Do you see the imagery that James is, is giving us here? When we waste money, it's like we're, we're fattening ourselves up for a day of slaughter. We're wasting our money on stuff we don't even need. How many would agree with this statement? The more money we make, the easier it is to waste it. Would you agree with that? The more money you make, the easier it is to waste it. You say things like, well, I'm worth it. (laughs) I can afford it. I've got the money. Why not just splurge a little bit on myself? And if if we're not careful, we can get into this habit of wasting money. James says in verse 5, we start living in pleasure and luxury, fattening ourselves up. You know, if you ever want to uh, waste money, I got a great way to do it. Uh, if you've ever been on an airplane, in the, in the pocket in front of you, there's a magazine in there. You know what I'm talking about? It's called Sky Mall. And it's called, this is the coolest stuff on earth, they say. The coolest stuff on earth. And I would challenge anyone to open a Sky Mall and find something that I truly need in my life. I would challenge you on that because I don't think it's it's in there. (laughs) But it's called the coolest stuff on earth. It's cool, and I'll give you that. I'll look through Sky Mall and I'll go, oh, that's that's pretty cool. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Don't need any of it. Very wasteful stuff with our wealth, right? I, I found a few things I thought I'd show you off Sky Mall. That was pretty funny. The first one was a dog breed toaster. Because that's what I need in the morning. A dog on my toast. My toast is just not complete enough without my dog breed on it. Now this next one, I really honestly, I think would be a really cool gift for our pastor. I think if we pull the money together, we could get it. But it's called a cat, Serenity Cat Pod. Serenity, Serenity Cat, it's, it's a thousand, it's only a thousand dollars. So... 
hundred of us, we could get together, we could get this for him. You may ask, what is a Serenity cat pod? I have no idea what a Serenity cat pod is. <clears throat> I'm assuming cats are so stressed out these days that they need a place to go and just relax, a Serenity cat pod. The last one is a big necessity, and that is, go ahead and put it up, it's a Bigfoot Garden Yeti life size. And it only costs $2,250. Now here's the scary thing, folks. I mean, honestly, do you, do you realize that people are buying this stuff? I mean, it's not in the magazine for nothing. I mean, these, this is stuff that people are actually buying. Now, we may not have a life-size garden yeti, okay? We may not have a dog breed toaster, but what are we wasting our money on? That's the question. We need to look in the mirror and say, what am I wasting my money on, truly? I mean, I may go to Starbucks too much. I, I'm going to get emails about that, I can tell right now. <laughs> Starbucks. How about the new arrivals, the, the things that come out, the latest and greatest? I got to have it. I can't wait. And we waste our money on stuff that we don't even need. You know, we got to look at ourselves and go, man, where am I wasting money? My wife and I are, are a little different on money uh, and this idea of wasting. You know, in a couple, in a relationship, one of you is probably a receipt inspector. Receipt inspectors in the house. So that, what that means is you, you shop, you go outside the store, and one of you is taking the receipt out like this, and you're inspecting it. And you're going, okay, did they overcharge me? Did I get a good deal? What costs the most? Me and my wife have a game where we go, okay, who bought the, the most expensive thing today kind of thing? Um, and her and I are different because we'll get to the car and she'll look at the receipt. And let's just say they overcharge us a dollar. Uh, she's going to go back in the store and she's going to get the dollar. Yeah. Power to her. I will stay in the car, and I will go home, because I figure, you know, a dollar is not worth my time right now, I don't really want to go back into the store. It's wasteful. It's those little things in your life that you look at and go, okay, how am I wasteful? Like I said, the more money we have, the more we tend to waste it. So it's, you know, it's a wrong use of wealth. So we talked about hoarding, stealing, wasting, and then the fourth thing is abusing. Abusing. Another wrong use of wealth. Abusing. Let's look at verse 6 in James chapter 5. Some harsh words here from James. He says, you have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. You know what James is saying here? He's saying, you have condemned and ruined innocent men, and they are powerless to stop you. Money is power. If you agree with that, just say yes. Yeah. We live in a society where money is power. If you want to write this down, this is a great saying. Your affluence has influence. Your affluence has influence. We tend to listen to the rich man more than we listen to the poor. That's just the society in which we live. That's our nature. In James' times, the rich were corrupt at times. And these weren't, these weren't unchristian people. These are Christian people that he's talking to. This is the church. The rich were buying off judges. If they wanted to take advantage of a guy, they'd just take him to court, slip the judge a couple bills, and get what they wanted done. And they, they would get their own way, and they are abusing their wealth. James says in verse 6, you've condemned innocent people. That's what you've done here. Now, we know in our time, there's a lot of people that, that, that can do that. 
They can manipulate society with their wealth. You know, you think about Bernie Madoff. Pulled this off a news report. It says, on March 12, 2009, Madoff pleaded guilty to 11 federal felonies and admitted to turning his wealth management business into a massive Ponzi scheme that defrauded thousands of investors of billions of dollars. It's an abuse of wealth. It's an abuse of wealth. Now, we may have not done any Ponzi schemes like that in our life. We may not have that kind of wealth. But how are we abusing wealth? You think about your life. How can we abuse wealth? For us, maybe it could be a control thing with family members. It's like, hey, if you tick me off bad enough, I'm going to cut you out of my will. You know? That's an abuse of wealth. Maybe it's with our kids. Anybody ever bribed their kids before? Yeah. You need to shut up, sit down. If you're good, we'll go get a Happy Meal. Because we're about happiness here. <laughs> so we've got to be careful we're not abusing our wealth and making sure that we're using it wisely and not in the wrong way. So we talked about these wrong uses, hoarding, stealing, wasting, and abusing. And the consequences of misuse wealth, this is really cool, in verse 2 and 3, we see the consequences of that. Hoarded wealth is going to decay, it's going to corrode, it's not going to have value, it's not going to be important anymore. And you think about stolen waste and abuse wealth, that's heavy because that has eternal significance. We'll be judged in eternity by what we steal, by what we waste, by what we abuse. It's big time stuff. And James, as we saw, has some pretty harsh words about that, strong words about the wrong use of wealth. Well, number two, let's talk about the right uses of wealth, the positives. And the first right use of wealth is save it faithfully. Save it faithfully. It's a simple concept, save it faithfully. Proverbs 21:20 says, the wise man saves for the future but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. It's a biblical concept to say. Americans, I, I, I looked this up, Americans save 4% of their wealth, 4%. Europeans, 16%. Japanese, 25% they save. So why do we save so little in our country, in, in, in this land called America? Well, it's because we're caught up in the dream, right? The American dream, we're living for today. We want it all and we want it what? Now, we want it all and we want it now. How do we do that? Charge it. We just charge it. Instead of saving our wealth faithfully, we spend it on stuff we don't even need. You know, when, when it, we think about Jesus and how he taught, he used a lot of parables. And over half of his parables dealt with money, if you look it up. Over half of his parables. In Matthew 25, he, he talked about the parable of the talents. He talks about investment, how the wise man invested his money. And the unwise man did not invest his money. The master called the one who did not invest wicked. He called him wicked. Because it's wicked not to make our money work for us. When we save our money, when we save it faithfully, then we can get our money to work for us rather than us working for our money. In order to develop some habits of saving, I want to give you some two, two keys this morning. Just two keys that will help us with saving. The first key is this. Learn to live on a margin. Learn to live on a margin. This is basic economics. Basically, it's this. You spend less than you earn. If you get that one concept, you're going to do amazing things with your, with your finances. Learn to live on a margin. John D. Rockefeller, one of the wealthiest men uh, ever said, save 10% 
tithe 10% and live on 80. Save 10, tithe 10% and live on 80%. Man, what a, what a great concept we could just adopt that. And we're talking about living on a margin. We're talking about developing a cushion for ourselves, spending less than we earn. This is a biblical concept as well. If you looked at the book of Genesis, we see Joseph. What did he do? He saved in the seven years of plenty, and they were, they were prepared for the seven years of famine. It was a, it's a biblical concept just to save your money faithfully and to, to learn to live on a margin. Give yourself a cushion. Okay? That's the first key. The second key is learn to be content. Learn to be content. You know, when we're not content, what we do is we spend our money as soon as we can. <laughs> we, we're not content, so we want to get something else. One pastor said this. I love it. Use it up. Wear it out. Make it do or do without. We have to look at our life and go, I need to be content when it comes to stuff. When it comes to finances, when it comes to wealth, we need to learn to save it faithfully. You know, we need, to, we need to ask ourselves, is this a want or a need? You know, if you define that, that right, just right there, it will change your finances. Is this a want or is it a need? We, all, we say things like, man, I really need this new thing. But do we really need this new thing? You know, it's amazing what you can survive without. It really is. One of the best things you can do is just get out of America for a little bit. Go to a third world country and visit them. And you'll find out real quick what people survive without and the stuff that we have. It's crazy. And it'll surprise you how, you can, how content you can truly be. So learn to be content. And these two keys will help. This will help you save your wealth faithfully. And that's, that's a right use of, of our wealth. The next thing, the right use of wealth is earn it honestly. Earn it honestly. Proverbs 16.8 says this, it's better to have a little honestly earned than a large income dishonestly gained. You know, over and over, the Bible teaches us to earn our wealth honestly. You know, we can get caught up in these, uh, and, and we can dream up these get, get rich quick schemes. And if we're not careful, they become nightmares and we lose our wealth quickly. Proverbs 12.27 says, if you're lazy, you'll never get what you're after. But if you work hard, you can get a fortune. You know what matters most to God is not how much money you make, but how you make it. Do you have integrity? Are you earning it honestly? Let me ask you this question. Do you work hard? Do you work hard? You know, we talk a lot about Christians being different. We want to be different. You want to be different in our world? Work hard at your job. Anybody work with lazy people at all? I mean, they're all around. Let us, as Christians, shine the light of Jesus by working hard, earning our wealth honestly. Now, some people ask the question, how much money or how much wealth can a Christian legitimately acquire? They ask that question. Well, scripturally, there's no limit. There's no limit or cap on how much money we should have. As long as it lines up. Correctly, And I want to give you four qualifications this morning on earning our wealth. The first qualification is as long as it doesn't hurt your health. As long as it doesn't hurt your health. Proverbs 23, 4 says, do not wear yourselves out to get rich. Don't wear yourselves out. Have the wisdom to show restraint. How many people work themselves to death to pay for stuff they don't need? happens all the time. 
I want you to remember this. Your health is more important to God than your wealth. Your health is more important than your wealth. So don't kill yourselves trying to get rich is what, what God is trying to tell us through his scripture this morning. You know, make sure your health is in good order. The second thing is as long as it doesn't hurt your family. As long as it doesn't hurt your family. How many families have parents work themselves to death? Not to just provide, but to pay for stuff they don't even need. Pay for abundance. I love what Pastor Rick Warren says. You know, when it comes to kids, you know how they spell love? T-I-M-E. T-I-M-E. It's okay to earn our wealth, honestly, but make sure it's not hurting our families. The next one is as long as it doesn't hurt other people. As long as it doesn't hurt other people. Now you think about our society and the culture we live in, this is the exact opposite that they're preaching. You know, we, we live in a business world, in a society where people are climbing all over each other and stepping on each other just to get to the top, just to progress. And as Christians, we don't have to do that. You know, we can earn our wealth honestly, with integrity, without having to, to step on people to progress. Proverbs 20, 21, 20 tells us, it gives us a warning. It says, a fortune can be made from cheating, but there's a curse that goes with it. Some strong words there. We re reap what we sow. Amen? So be careful not to hurt others, as long as it doesn't hurt others. The next thing is this, as long as it doesn't hurt your walk with God. Go ahead, earn your wealth, earn it honestly. Make sure it's not hurting your walk with God. You know what we're talking about here? We're talking about a balance. We're talking about a balance here. Spiritual growth should progress with financial growth. You shouldn't just get rich and you shouldn't just acquire wealth, but we need to be healthy in a spiritual way as well. Make sure you set goals. 3 John 2 says, Beloved, I wish that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. There must be a balance. And God says that if you're going to get financial goals, you need to set spiritual goals as well. It's not just about wealth here. It's about spiritual health. If you're going to set, if you're going to set financial goals, set spiritual goals too. Set some relational goals. If all you do is set financial goals, then you're out of balance and God says... It's wrong. It's wrong. It's out of balance. So make sure you earn it, earn it honestly. The next thing is spend it wisely. Spend it wisely. This is the right use of wealth. Spend it wisely. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit, as sure as haste leads to poverty. We need to spend our wealth wisely. In other words, let's plan our spending. Do you realize that we spend 16 years in school getting educated on how to make money. But how much time do we really spend learning how to spend it? You know what I mean? It's way out of balance. It's easier to get into debt than it is to get out of debt. Could I hear an amen on that this morning? You know, we want to buy now and pay later. What a messed up concept we've created here. Buy now, pay later. Only five easy payments, everybody. Only five easy payments. Has anybody ever had an easy payment? No, they're all difficult. And the number one reason for financial pressure is not that we don't make enough money, but that we don't spend it wisely. You know, the more money we make, the more we tend to spend. That's just our trend. Our yearning capacity exceeds our earning capacity too often. And we don't spend it wisely. And we get in this financial 
pressure, but there's a relief to the financial pressure. And you know how you spell relief for financial pressure? You ready for this? B-U-D-G-E-T. Everybody say it on three. One, two, three. Budget. Now this is, this is somewhat of a bad word for some people. They don't want to hear about this. Budget. Yes, I know I need to budget. I don't have a budget. This is a biblical concept. Budgeting. Proverbs 27, 23 says, Riches can de- disappear fast. So watch your business interests. What's the next word? Closely. Make sure you know what your money is doing. Set a budget. Make sure you're spending it wisely. Uh, if you, if you uh, haven't been through Financial Peace University, we always encourage everyone to go through that. We, we offer that in our small group semesters in, in the fall and the spring. We're offering it right now. And then the spring will be starting up uh, next year in, Jan- in the end of January. So we want to encourage you to get involved in that with Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. My wife and I, we, uh, we use an app called Mint, M-I-N-T. And you can find that mint.com. You can connect your uh, bank account to this app and set a budget. And her and I can monitor that simultaneously and look and see how we're spending our money and make sure we're doing it wisely. And it's, it's, a, it's an important concept. It's something that'll change your finances for sure. So save it faithfully, earn it honestly, spend it wisely. And the next thing is this, give it generously. Give it generously, a right use of wealth. Proverbs 11, 24 and 25 says this, it is possible to give away and become what, church? Richer. It's possible to give away and become richer. It's also possible to hold on too tightly and lose everything. Yes, the generous man shall be rich. By watering others, he waters himself. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Over and over, we see promises in the Bible, more and more promises about, that are related to giving more than anything else, any other subject. God wants us to learn to be givers, to give generously. He wants us to be financially free. And you know how you know you're financially free? Is if you give generously. That's how you know. It doesn't matter how much money you have. You could have all all the money in the world, but if you don't give generously, you're not financially free. You're not there yet. And God wants that for us. Now, I told you to remember, if you look in verse 1, in in James chapter 5 this morning, it says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your, what's the next word? For your what? What's that, church? Miseries. Miseries. You know the root word the root word of miseries? You know what it is? Miser. Miser. When I'm a miser, I'm when I hold on to stuff, I'm not a generous person, I'm not giving generously, then I'm miserable. I'm a miser. But if I learn to give, I'll have joy, I'll have happiness. God God says he loves a cheerful giver. You've heard the saying, well, you can't take it with you. You've heard that saying? Here's a cool saying. Here's another cool saying. You can send it on ahead. You can send it on ahead. I want to take you to this passage as we're we're closing up today in Matthew chapter 6. And this passage hurts me every time. This is a punch to the gut for me every time. I want to read it for you this morning. This is Jesus talking. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on what, church? Earth. Earth. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your what? Say it loud. Heart will be also. Ouch. 
ouch, ouch, ouch. I don't know about you, but I look at that verse and I have to look at myself. And I have to ask myself, what am I doing? Am I being wise with my wealth? Am I laying up treasures on earth more than I am in heaven? You know, it's important that we're wise with our wealth. It really is. It's important to monitor our bank accounts and making sure that we're doing the right things financially. And that our treasures on earth are in order. But I have to ask the question, how is our treasures in heaven? How are they doing? Because Jesus is very clear here. Don't lay up treasures on earth. Don't just focus on that. But lay up treasures in heaven. So how do we do that? How do we lay up treasures in heaven as opposed to earth? You know how we do that? We give. That's how we do it. We give to things with eternal significance. That's how we lay up treasures in heaven. You, 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 it's simply... The basics, you, you, you go back to the basics in Malachi, he says, bring the tithe into the storehouse and see if I won't bless you. Test me in this. You know, God tells us simply to tithe. You know, when, when you tithe to the, to the local church, it enables us to do the ministry at our full capacity. That's what it does. And we're able to do all the things that we do. We're not a part of some denomination that supports us. We are supported by your tithes, by your giving, and it helps us to carry out ministry. You think about missions. You think about missionaries that we give to and we support. You know, we won't see the people that that impacts probably here on earth, but you know what? We're going to see them in heaven. We're going to see people that we gave to missions and their life was changed because of that. We're going to see them in heaven. That's laying up treasures in heaven. You think about our feeding centers and Mexico and Haiti and the Philippines. I've been to those places. Putting food in little kids' mouths. That's heavenly stuff right there, people. It's not about the food. It's about their lives. It's about their souls. They're being changed just because we fed them physically. Now we're feeding them spiritually. That's laying up treasures in heaven. I don't know if you heard, but we're, uh, you may not have heard about this, but we actually purchased some land next door. Did you guys hear about this? 38 acres, all right? And God willing, we're praying this, this uh, week, uh, we're going to be closing on that land. And that's going to be ours. That's exciting stuff. And you can help us with that. And I know some of you already have given to that to help us pay off this land. That's going to help our future as a church just carry out ministry without that financial weight. And then we're, we're going to buy that land and we're, we're not going to put a sign on it. We're not going to say future home of Orchard Church. We're going to put a building on it. We're going to put a facility on there that we can have church and we can actually be a beacon in our community. How exciting is that going to be? I'm stoked. Me and my wife are already sitting and praying and thinking, okay, what, what can we give? What, how can we contribute to this whole thing? It's, it's exciting stuff. And you know, a feeding center, uh, if we put a roof on a feeding center, or we build a building, that, you know, that, that's material stuff. And that's, that's the kind of stuff that's going to corrode eventually over time. It's going to go away. It's going to get bulldozed eventually one day. It's not about the building, though, guys. It's not about the facility. It's not about the roof. It's not about the shingles. You know what it's about? It's about the souls and the lives that would be changed in those places. Amen. That's, that's storing up treasures in heaven. No, we're not going to treasure the building. We're going to treasure the lives that are going to come in changed because of 
our giving, because of our generous giving. And the way we do that is just by being wise with our wealth. It's a right, man, you talk about a right use of wealth, to be financially free, to be able to give generously to things with eternal significance. What a beautiful legacy that would be. I've, I've had this prayer for a long time. It's my own personal prayer that I pray to God. And I say, God, please don't, I don't want to waste my life on myself. I don't want to waste my life on myself. I want to do something of eternal significance. Now we think about everything we've looked at this morning. We think about the wrong uses of wealth. We think about the right uses of wealth. What's the point of all that? What's the point of making sure we're not using our wealth in a wrong way and making sure we use it in a right way? What's the point of all that? It's so that we can get to the point where we are financially free and that we can give to God's kingdom. That we can invest in God's kingdom because we are going to find out more and more as we do that that it is truly more blessed to give than to receive what happens in our life. That's when we know we're financially free because we can give. And you know what happens when we give? When we give, we can boldly proclaim that the almighty dollar is not number one in our life, mm-hmm. but God is number one in our life. Amen. It's not about money for us. That's not our end game. It's about God's glory. It's about his fame. We, we, it's about shining his light to our world. And when we do that, man, you talk about different. You talk about different. That's when we are different. That's when we shine the light of Jesus Christ. And when he's number one, we hold to his word and we hold to his teaching when it comes to our wealth that we talked about this morning. I heard a pastor say this a long time ago. He said, there's nothing wrong with God's plan on money. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with God's plan and ideas and instructions on wealth. It's our implementation of it or lack thereof. So we need to look at ourselves and say, God, I want you to be number one in my life. I want to hold to your teaching. I want to be wise with my wealth. Will you bow your heads with me this morning? First off, I just want to pray for all of us as, as a church, as believers, That we can shine the light of Jesus Christ by simply being wise with our our wealth. The blessings that God has given to us. That we can follow the instructions that he's given us. So let me pray for us this morning. God, we we pray with all of our hearts. Lord, that we will trust in you. We'll trust your word. Your word tells us if if we ask for wisdom that you will give it to us. So this morning we ask this morning that you'll give us wisdom with our finances, with our wealth, God. Not to become rich, not to become powerful, Lord, but to give you glory. So that money isn't number one, but you are number one. So we pray for that this morning. We pray for a heart that treasures you more than anything else. Show us where our heart is this morning, God. As we leave this place, show us where our heart is in our finances. Show us where our heart is in our families in our lives, in our work, God. That's our prayer this morning. God, may we, may we honor you and glorify you with our money and with our hearts, Lord. That's our prayer this morning. With every eye closed and every head bowed, you may be here this morning 
And you may be focused on your financial wealth, but are you focused on your spiritual health as well? Maybe you're working hard and you're focused, but you've been ignoring God. You've been ignoring what's really important in life, and that is your eternal soul. Where am I going to spend eternity? What eternal significance does my soul have? And you may be here this morning and you've never truly surrendered to Jesus Christ. You've never given him your, your heart and your life. And you're here this morning and you say, Gary, I surrender to him. I finally give it up. I give him my heart, Lord, this morning. So if that's you this morning and you're ready just to surrender to Jesus Christ, to ask him into your life to be the Lord and Savior of your life and your heart, we just raise your hands? No one looking around. That's me this morning. I finally surrender to him, Gary. I finally surrender to Jesus. Amen. Amen. If that's you this morning, you're ready to give your life and your heart to Jesus Christ, you can just simply pray, pray this prayer after me. It's not the prayer that will save you. It's your faith in your heart. To God. So just pray this prayer from your heart to God's heart. It goes like this. Dear Jesus, I surrender to you. I believe that you are the Messiah. I believe that you died, that you rose, and that you reign in eternity. I know I'm a sinner. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life save me. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Can we celebrate what God has done this morning? Amen. Well, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ this morning for the very first time, I want to ask you to just, just fill out the connection card. Let us know about that. As the offering bucket comes around, just put that in. We want to follow up with you and help you on your journey. Again, this may be your first time with us this morning, if you will. Just put that connection card in the offering bucket as it goes by this morning. Thank you so much for worshiping with us. Let's, let's stand together this morning as we close. Close in a song of worship and worship with our giving.